All right, let's have a word of prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for today. We thank you another opportunity and the privilege to share your word, to listen to um, to listen to you speak, Lord, and to and be blessed by fellowshiping with other believers. We ask, dear Holy Spirit, that you explain your word to us, reveal the truth of scriptures, and cause us to walk um, in this truth in the name of Jesus Christ. We pray for everyone who is in here. We thank you for um, bringing them together and bringing them to join us. We also pray for everyone who listens to this recording at a later time that the impact of your spirit will be evident upon um, their hearts in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for answered prayers. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. 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 All right. So we are starting a new um, a new series after the new conversation today. We're starting it today, and um, it's called Science. That's what we called it. We called it Science. And what that simply means is, you know, when you look at, look at a sign board, sign board or a billboard, you know, as it's called, um, a signboard usually tells you either of two things. It tells you the direction or it lets you know where you are, right? Meaning that if I was going to a street called, okay, no, let's say I was going to the airport. Um, while driving, there are these points on the express that lets you know what direction to take if you're going to the airport, right? Um, so that's what the sign is. But also, a sign lets you know where you are at. So if I was going to a street called, um, let's say, Wall Street, for instance, how do I know that I've gotten to Wall Street? One of the ways I, I will know that is by a sign that says Wall Street. So we're looking at this, uh, we, we titled this conversation, signs, um, sign rather, because we want to see how our lives should point to, to God, how our lives should point to Jesus, and how that... The scripture evidently, you know, encourages and instructs us to live in such a way that our lives actually do point to Christ, that we are not an end in ourselves, um, we are not the destination, that our lives should just point to Christ Jesus, and our lives should also let people know that they've met, um, that they're in the right place, that they've come to Christ Jesus, just the same way the billboard or the signpost lets you know the direction to a particular location so also our lives should be able to point to jesus christ and also a signpost lets you know when you have gotten to that location so our life should be that signpost that lets people know that okay i have actually met christ and i am on track all right so when when people are when people are in doubt of what who god is or what christianity is about they should be able to look at our lives as a sign and say I'm in the right place or I have arrived in the right at the right destination. All right. So that's exactly what we are trying to look at or what we aim to look at this um, in this series. So it's titled Signs, um, Living a Life That Points to God. And just thinking about it is very powerful because uh, maybe we should start from this scripture. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. Um, Apostle Paul said something here. He said, I'm, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God 
who loved me and gave himself for me. So Apostle Paul was saying here that the life I live essentially is no longer my own. I have switched my life with the life of Christ. And what you see me live in the natural is not my life, actually, is the life of Christ. And this is what God expects of us, that we are not an end in, our, in ourselves, that Christ is the end, that people shouldn't come to us and, and meet us. People should come to us and meet Christ. Uh, people shouldn't come to us and, and get to know more about us. Rather, people should come to us and get to know more about Christ. So we are taken out of the way, no matter how beautiful a billboard is, all right? The essence of the billboard is just is to point to something else aside itself. The billboard might be might cost a million naira to set up or even um, a million dollars to set up, but the billboard is not the destination in itself. Nobody say, says, oh, I'm going to the billboard. No, the billboard tells you where you should go, um, go to as your final destination. So also our lives. God has not called us to live our, our lives as an end to itself, to itself, but rather that our lives should point to Christ, okay? And um, no matter how much God increases us, blesses us, multiplies us, you know, uh, materially and otherwise, the goal is not for our lives to be the destination. The goal is always that our lives should be the, should be the signpost pointing people to God, all right? So that is what we are looking, looking at, you know, all through this series. And um, what I want to do today in particular is just to lay a foundation, all right? So this is the foundation laying ceremony or the foundation laying um, um, Bible study. Um, so yeah, I just want to lay the foundation for this, you know, thoughts, and then we build on it over the course of um, the next several weeks, all right? So as our first scripture, let us open Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Verse 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. Matthew chapter 5. Yep, verse 13 to 16. Okay. So I'm going to read that, read through that quickly. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savour, wherewith shall it be salted, or how can it be salted? It does a rhetoric. It says, it is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. So if, first of all, the Bible says you are the salt of the earth. Um, but peradventure, if for any reason, the salt loses its saltiness. That's what makes it actually salt. Then it is of no, no use anymore other than to be, you know, thrown on the floor and then men will just trample upon it. Now, verse 14, Jesus Christ continues with this conversation. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. So Jesus Christ moves a little bit from the salt concept to, to light, talking about visibility. And he says that a city that is set upon a hill cannot be hidden. It's in an obvious and con conspicuous um, place, all right? Then he says, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. Um, other translations says, say nobody lights a candle and puts it under a table or hides it in, a, in an obscure place. It says, but put on a candlestick and it gives light unto everyone that 
to unto all that are in the house. Verse 16 now says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father, which is in heaven. Hallelujah. So um, let me start again from where we read. Joshua has begun to explain using the concept of salt, says that we are the light, of, well, sorry, we're the salt of the earth. And then if the salt loses saltiness, how can it be salted again? And um, just to highlight a few things before we proceed here is that when Jesus, when, you know, when Joshua has used the reference of salt, um, it's helpful to know what salt is typically used for. Now, especially in the day and time in which this um, scripture, this um, text happened, salt was used for three major things. Number one was that it was used for seasoning, right? And it is still being used for seasoning, by the way. And so you know that if, you're, if you add a, a little amount of salt to your food, um, or add a certain amount of salt to your food, then um, it, the taste improves. So salt is used for seasoning. And what that means for us is that if we are the salt of the world, that means we are the ones that add flavor to this world. We are the ones that add seasoning to this world. We are the ones that make this world better. We are the ones that make this world taste better. In other words, we're the ones that make this world worth living for, or at least that is God's expectation of us as believers, that we are the salt, we are the salt of the earth, all right? Number two is that salt is used for fertilizer, is a, is a significant ingredient in fertilizer, right? And what, I mean, fertilizer, like we know, is that, you know, chemical composition that makes plants grow faster or better, or even grow in cases where, in cases where I mean plants couldn't have grown. All right. So what again that suggests is that we are a significant instrument to the growth and and betterment of this world. All right. So when you wake up, when you wake up, you tell yourself or think about yourself in this light that I am the salt of this earth. Meaning, in my workplace, I'm the salt. I'm adding seasoning. I'm I'm making things grow. In my family, I am the salt. I'm, I'm, not, going to, I'm not the one that makes my, um, my family spoil. You know, I'm the one that makes, adds flavor to it. Um, I am the word, I'm, I'm a significant ingredient to that fertilizer that make, make things grow, okay? And then thirdly, salt is used as a preservative. And even till now, it's still used as a preservative, all right? So it keeps things from decaying. And a very good example of this concept, especially with regards um, Christianity is, or people of God rather, is that is the example of um, um, Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham was going to inter when Abraham was going to intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah, he said to God and said, Lord, if you find fifty people, will you destroy the place? God said, No. If I find fifty righteous people, I will not destroy the place. Meaning that even though the the population size, the general population size is a lot larger than the amount of righteous people. Yet the presence of the righteous people have the ability to preserve the entire city. And just think about this in preservative, right? The amount of salt you put on, well, I mean, what's come to my mind is fish now, because I've seen my mom do this, you know, over time, especially with dried fish. Um, she puts sprinkles salt on the fish, you know, just to keep it preserved. The amount of salt compared to the amount of fish isn't proportional, isn't the same, you know, the fish is a lot larger than the quantity of salt there, but the presence of the salt is able to preserve the entire fish. 
So this is what God is saying. Um, and this is what Abraham was negotiating with God because he understood this um, principle. And he went further down in this intercession up to 10 people. And he said, God, if I find 10 people, will I, will you, if you find 10 people, will you preserve the place? And God said, yes, I will preserve the place. But unfortunately, there were not up to 10 people um, righteous in that city. In fact, it was just Lot and his family, um, immediate family that, that um, God spared in that city. So we see a principle of preservation. When the righteous are in a land, then God is able to use them as an excuse to preserve the land. And so God, what God is saying is that we are the reason why the earth is being preserved. And you can make this, you can, you know, enforce this in your life, in your business, in your workplace, in your family. If there's a destruction coming, you can go to God and say, Lord, for the sake of the righteous, in this institution, in this organization, in this city, let your, let your hand prevail. Let your um, preservation keep us, okay? Um, so you can do that based on this principle. So God, Jesus Christ says, says here that we are the salt of the earth. And I said three important things that salt is used for. One is for um, seasoning, for, fertil for fertilization, and also for preservation, all right? Then we move on and to the next verse in verse 14, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14. Jesus Christ said, you are the light of the world. Jesus Christ here says, you are the light of the world. Then he says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And then he goes on to explain that men do not light a lamp or a candle and then hide it under the table or hide it in an obscure place. But rather when men light a lamp, they put it in a place that is visible. And this gives us an idea of the way God sees us, that God expects our lights to shine as cities that he has placed upon a hill or as candles that he has lighted, all right, that he did not light you because he wants to keep you hidden. He has littered you because he wants your light to have influence. So when you think of light, you think of influence. Um, the same way you, I mean, the light bulb in your room is obvious. You can see the light wherever you are. If it's, if it's turned on, you can see that it's not hidden. The people that built, you know, the house or wherever it is, did not hide the light somewhere under the carpet. Oh, they didn't hide the light behind the TV television. They put the light somewhere that is visible. And so God is, sorry, God is saying that our influence as believers should should spread, should be obvious, should be visible, okay? Um, so one thing, obviously, that comes to our mind when we think of light is illumination. That is the brilliance that comes from light. And in fact, the Bible says that the um, light is sweet to the eyes, okay? That means the light, the eyes rather appreciate light, appreciate light. And one of the reasons is because without light, you can't see you, you, you ha don't have direction. And so what God is saying to us as light of the world is that we are the ones that bring illumination to this world and also show them the way to go, all right, as believers, as Christians. Second thing that light represents, and I, before I say this, I would read a scripture and add another scripture to just bring up this. Or let me just say and then read the scriptures. So second thing light represents is salvation, okay? And why do I say this? If you turn to Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6, Isaiah chapter 49 and verse 6. It says, verse 6 says, and it's the light thing that thou should be my servant, 
to raise up the tribes of Jacob. And God was saying, Prophet Kai, that it's a small thing, it's a little thing, you know, for me to just assign you to be a servant to raise only the tribes of Jacob. He says, and to restore the preserved of Israel. Then he says, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles. He says, I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. So God says that I will give you as a light to the Gentiles, all right? And what does that mean? It says to bring my salvation unto the end of the earth. So here, light signified salvation. And that is one of the, you know, significance of light. It represents salvation, okay? And how else do I know this? If you see Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 to 17, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 16 to 17. It says, the people which sat in darkness saw great light. And to them which sat in the region of the shadow of death, light is sprung up. Verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. If you read the preceding verses, you see that the context of this, of this scripture that was um, quoted, which again came from the book of Isaiah, is um, was talking. The scripture was talking about salvation, the salvation that Jesus Christ um, brought. All right. So just to say that light also represents salvation, and what God is saying when He says, "We are the light of the world," is that we are the ones that will bring salvation onto this to this earth. All right. And we are the ones that will bring the salvation of God. That will bring, you know, God's deliverance onto this earth. The Bible says that Jesus, God, was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. And has also given us the ministry of reconciliation. All right. And that is what we are doing. That's what it means to be light. That we are facilitating that ministry, ministry of reconciliation and salvation on the earth. All right. Now, having said this, the third thing light represents, um, for those that might have just joined us, we're reading from the book of Matthew chapter 5. And we read from verse 13 to 16. Okay. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, 16. And I want to read verse 16 in particular. It says, let your light so shine. So this is after just Christ has said, nobody lights a candle and hides it and all of that. You know, he then goes on to say, let your light so shine before men. You know, when I read this scripture, I, I, I can't, I don't miss the emphasis on so. It's, you know, I was just Christ was saying, let your light shine very much. And um, let me read. Let me read some other translation for us quickly. Um, Matthew chapter, chapter 5, verse 16. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. The Passion Translation says, So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others, so that your commendable works will shine as light upon them, and they will give their praise to your father in heaven. Hallelujah. And it says, in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your father in heaven. So my emphasis is the fact that Jesus Christ said, let, he didn't just say, let your light shine. He says, let your light so shine. There was an emphasis on the brilliance of your light or and the, and the you know, emphasis on you just shining your light, okay? So he says, let your light so shine before men and again, something I want, to, want us to note in this scripture is that Jesus Christ did not say, let your light shine before the Father. 
He's already seen your light. He did not say, let your light shine before angels or let your light shine before demons that when they see your light, they'll run away from you. No. He said, let your light so shine before men. He, Jesus Christ was particular about the audience of our shining. And he did not leave us in doubt as to where our light should shine towards. He says, let your light so shine before men. And this suggests to us that God is intentional about the way we present ourselves before people. Now, this is not referring to um, um, hypocrisy or um, what was the word now? When, when just pretense, basically. This is not referring to pretense, no. It's not referring to eye service where you are doing something, you are doing something in the closet and when you come to the public, you disguise and do something different so that people will applaud you. No, that's not what we're talking about. Um, in fact, we've spoken about this before. Your private life must be consistent with your public life. So we're not talking about living a double standard. That is not what Jesus Christ was talking about. Instead, what Jesus Christ was talking about is, you know, he said, we are the light of the world, meaning already we are called, called as light. In fact, he now says that no one lights a candle or lights a lamp and hides it. What I suggest to us is that the lamp is first of all litted. And then because it is litted, it is now placed in an obvious position for people to benefit from the light. So what Jesus was saying here, or he's saying here is that let your light so shine before men that your, your lifestyle that carries this illumination must be accurately represented before people. So the Christian that you are in the public, in the private rather, should be the Christian that you are in the public. All right? And he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Remember the Bible says that um, if first Samuel says, man does not, man, sorry, God does not look at the outward appearance, right? He says, man looks at the outward appearance, uh, but God looks at the heart. Now, it is, it is true that God looks at the heart, but when it comes to man, man looks at the outward appearance. So Jesus Christ is saying, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works. And again, this is a, a uh, it might not be a very popular, you know, teaching among believers, but your conduct before people is super important. I guess that's some of what I'm trying to extract from this scripture. That what Jesus Christ was saying is that the way you live your life before people is super important, not as a way of, um, not as a way of hypocritical living, but as a way of displaying the light that you are already before people. All right. So he said again, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Because if you don't let, if you don't shine your light before men, they will not see your good works. And then why is it so important that men see your good works? Jesus Christ gave us the answer. We're reading Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16. Jesus Christ gave us the answer and he said, let me read the whole verse again. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. So the purpose of men seeing your good works is to glorify your father in heaven. Now, this is where, because this is where we need to be careful because it's possible for someone to show forth good deeds, but the intentions are different, all right? So people, it's very possible for people to show for the good deeds they are doing, but their purpose is to draw men to themselves and not to, for men to give glory to God. 
So how do you know the difference between somebody attracting the attention to himself and someone who's just letting his light shine before men so that God will be glorified? The answer again is in that scripture that God will be glorified, that men will see your good works and glorify the Father in heaven. So the question you ask is, at the end of these good works, who are men glorifying? Is it the person that is doing the good works or the Father in heaven? All right? And this is where, as believers, we have to be careful, all right, that in the process of doing our good deeds, our the attention shouldn't come to ourselves, but the attention should go to, to the Father in heaven. But having said that, it is still important to note what Jesus Christ said. Let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So the purpose of your light shining is so that men will see your good deeds. The purpose of men seeing your good deeds is for God to be glorified. And what I suggest is that if you keep hiding or keep withdrawing the brilliance of your light, there will be a segment of people who will not be able to give glory to God because they have not seen your light shine. And this is really the foundation of what we'll talk about um, in this series, all right? Like I said at the beginning, we're looking, the title of this you know, series and what we'll be studying over the next several weeks is signs, all right? And signs here just means a life that points to, to God, a living a life that points to Christ, that points to, to, to God in, in us. Hallelujah. Okay. Now, one thing also, and finally, that like in the, in the context of this scripture, that light represents is our moral living, our lifestyle, the standard of our lifestyle. And when I talk about, when I talk about the standard of our lifestyle, I'm not talking about the standard in terms of quantity. I'm talking about standard in terms of quality, all right? So I'm not saying material, you know, possessions and how much you have in your bank account and, you know, like we said, economically, your standard of living. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your moral excellence um, because that is the light that shines before believers, all right? Because when you talk about finances, if, if it was just finances, then we would not even have, be having, we would not even be having this conversation as there are already several unbelievers that are a lot richer than, you know, we believers, okay? Uh, but what we're talking about, and we'll see a bunch of scriptures that already, that make this clear. What we're talking about is the moral excellence, the standard of our lives, the way we live our lives, the integrity, the uprightness, the conscience we uphold. That is what we're talking about when we talk about um, your good works shining before men, all right? And just to insert a scripture here, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20, lets us know that we're created to do good works. Uh, we're, create, we're, we're God's workmanship created, workmanship rather created to do good works, which God ordained before the beginning of time. So part of what we're, part of the reasons we're created is to do good works. And um, the part of the definition of good works here refers to our lifestyle, the way we conduct ourselves amongst all believers. All right. Okay, so I, this is what we're talking about. And before I go deep into, into other scriptures that would give shed light on this, I had a question I wanted to ask us, you know, for us to discuss. Um, and my question is very simple, that since Jesus Christ has already died for us and paid the price for us, you know, spiritually, he has already settled it. My question is, is it important how we live our lives here on earth you know, I mean, if Jesus Christ has already done it and he has settled it, is it really important how we live our lives here on earth? And is it necessary 
if, for instance, Jesus, God sees my heart, is it important what the other person thinks about me? Is it really important, you know? I would love to hear answers to this. I would love to hear, you know, our thoughts around this. Okay, so this is the time where you unmute and you share your thoughts, especially for those of us on, on Zoom, you can feel free to speak. And if you're on Mixeller, feel free to, to type in your comments, please. Uh, my question again is, if Jesus Christ has died for us already, has paid the price spiritually and was settled, okay, and he sees my heart, so is it important... Do I need to care about what other people think about me? Or do I need to bother about the way people see me and the way I live my life before them? Since God is the one that's important in, in, in the grand scheme of, thing, of things, rather, and he sees my heart already. So do I really need to bother the way other people see me and the way I live my life before others? I would love to hear your answer and then hear your reason as well. If it's yes, let me hear why. If it's no, I would love to hear why. All right. Anyone wants to volunteer starts with, you know, sharing their thoughts. Okay, um, Faith, your hand is up. Go ahead, please. Okay, good evening, everyone. Yes, I believe that we should care because first and foremost, it's not enough to say, oh, God sees my heart and then that's it. We are Mainly whether we are ambassadors and we're supposed to be representing God mm -hmm. here on earth. And an ambassador, an ambassador rather, cannot go to another country and behave anyhow and feel like, oh, person that sends me knows that I'm a good person. Whatever these people think, I really don't care. So it's not, it's not, it doesn't end that way. So I feel like as ambassadors, we are supposed to represent Christ and whatever they say should matter to us, whatever they say about the kingdom, whatever they say about God, we should be um, concerned about that. And a scripture comes to mind, I can't remember the particular passage where um, Paul was talking about eating food that um, was offered to idols. And then he went ahead to say that for the sake of those with, I'm trying not to put out the context, but, basically for the sake of those that are still coming up that you should also basically still emphasis on the fact that you should be mindful of other people that might not have a better understanding about certain things that so you should not do certain things in front of them something like that basically mm -hmm. so um i think it's it's important that we care yes fantastic thank you very much for that answer um all right someone else wants to share what they think um, is it really important? I mean, God sees my heart, so do I really need to care about what other people think about me or how I live my life in the presence of other people, in the view of other people? Um, someone else wants to help us with an answer? I am going to call on someone randomly. if I do not get a volunteer. Okay, um, Chioma, let me hear your thoughts on this. Um, is it really important that I care how, is it important to care about how I live my life before other, in front of other people and we know what they think about me? Um, Hello, good evening, everyone. Hi, good evening. Um, so I guess it is important 
to care what other people think about your life because as a Christian, you're representing Jesus. And if you're representing Jesus, you there's a certain expectation that um, you need to be aware of because if you say God just cares about your heart, but then your, your works are like, are not reflecting God. People would not naturally draw close to God because of you. Because when everybody knows you as a Christian, but then the way you live your life is not in alignment with what or with who a Christian should be. Mm. To drive away people from God, and as Christians, we're supposed to bring people into the kingdom and not drive people away from God. Mm. And basically, we're not supposed to be agents of of darkness. Basically, as we're not supposed to be the reason why people will leave God, but instead we're supposed to be the reason why people actually drop close to God. So if you're, if you're not concerned about how people perceive you, it shows that you're not a mature Christian because the main purpose for every believer is to know Christ and to make Christ known. Mm. And how do you make Christ known? By your words, your deeds, your actions, and everything. It's fantastic. So I have a follow-up question, Choma. Just stay one minute. So how okay. then separate between living a life that is just to please other people versus what you've described now? Okay, so the thing is, I guess that's, um, so that's why most, that's why Jesus called people hypocrites, I guess, because most people now, because of this, they not live their life to just please people, right? But then, I mean, at some point, I think everybody, has to tell themselves the truth in as much as it can go to ways in as, in as much as you're trying to let people like know god through you you're also supposed to like know god for yourself like you're not supposed to be a, i mean jesus called the pharisees hypocrites they do things to act religious and not necessarily spiritual mm -hmm. so i don't know but then i feel like at that point it's not left to you and your maker Right, in as much as you're not driving people away from the kingdom, but then you yourself, you're not like actually even going to the kingdom. So maybe they win, win, they win, lose, because you will not probably go to heaven and then you bring people to heaven. But at the same time, but I feel like every mature believer should get to that point where they're not doing things, they're not being hypocrites, as the Bible explains hypocrites to be, where you're actually living the life of Christ and also making people know. I, don't, I, I think it's a personal thing. I don't know. And then the Holy Spirit will help us. But I don't, I mean, I don't know what they'll say. Yeah, that's fine. Thank you very much. You've, you've contributed very well. Thank you so much. Um, so one more person to help with this, my last question. Um, just share your thoughts. How do you then differentiate between living a life to please people and then versus living a life, you know, versus being conscious of how you live before, you know, people? Do you know what I'm saying? At least Choma and Faith have established that we can't just ignore the way we live our lives before people. So let's assume we agree that. So how then do we differentiate between um, living a life to please people versus living a life worthy of emulation in the presence of other people? Um, someone wants to help us with a follow-up answer. Um, Ian, if you are if you can speak, okay. Oh, Mrs. M, Agape, your hand is up. Please go ahead. 
Hello, everyone. Good evening. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Good evening. All right. So for me, this is what I think. I mean, I hope I'm not wrong, but I believe that how you know that you're not just like living your life for the paparazzi and, you know, deforming and what people think is by the help of the Holy Spirit. Because, you know, when you give your life to Christ, you actually take on his life, right? And you have the Holy Spirit at new birth, you know, and the Holy Spirit lives within you. And then he begins to, you know, direct your life and show you how you navigate your life and destiny. And maybe read the book of Galatians chapter five. He also talks about the fruit of the spirit, which is like the basic um, fruit that every believer should walk in. And you know, when you have those fruits of the spirits, your, your, life becomes, your life becomes worthy of emulation, worthy of being an ambassador because you have those fruits. It's just natural. Do you understand? So I believe that the Holy Spirit is the person who helps us as believers to navigate that journey and, you know, helps us become like Christ. Like, you know, you're not trying to force it. Because he just, you just have that life. Is the life is a life. Because you have that life, you're not forcing it, but you just realize that people can tell, oh, this person is a Christian. Not because sometimes you're even you're not because you're making noise and I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Just the way you live, you know, they are, they are, they are, the fruits of the spirit are there as you know, like roadmaps for us to know that we are, you know, we are that we are allowing the Holy Spirit to you know walk in us and through us and for us to give god glory at the end of the day so i don't know that's what i believe anyways so yeah that's my two cents yeah thanks thank you very much thank you very much for that okay um Ian, your hand is up please go ahead hello everyone so i believe that the difference between someone who is living a life to please God and having a byproduct as the admiration or the accolades from people and someone who is living their life to please people. I believe it's the difference just lies in where one's heart is. The Bible says that where our heart is, there will our treasures also be. Like Mrs. Agape said earlier, if you're truly following God, you will be admired by people. You don't even need to tell people that, oh, you're a Christian. People would naturally just want to be like you. That doesn't mean everyone would like you, right? So it's about your what your goal is, like when you wake up every morning, do you seek to please God or do you seek to please people? I think the way, the way, the way one's mind is set, and like Mr. Gapi also said, it's really the Holy Spirit because it could get really slippery, especially in this age of social media, where, you know, maybe your followers start increasing all of a sudden and all those things. So it, I think it just takes a constant daily reminder for you to 
submit yourself to Christ, surrender yourself to Christ, know that your goal is pleasing Christ. And if someone admires you at the end of the, of the day, you sincerely give all glory to God and you do not allow that to get to you in any way, form or manner. That's why I feel. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Ian. And thank you, everyone. Very healthy contributions. Um, so you have, everyone has pretty much summarized by giving a concise, concise answer to this. I will just try to summarize everything we've said into two, two main things, uh, starting from what he said, or three actually. Number one is what, where your motive is at. Um, and I like what he said in, as regards, you know, the impact of social media in this day and age. Um, you know, there's someone I saw a page one time, what the person was helping other people, right? Um, but I just, somewhere in my heart, I just felt uncomfortable about the way he was having to necessarily show all the good deeds he was doing online. Um, now, of course, I'm not in his heart. I don't know his motive and all of that, but I just felt uncomfortable. So there's a bit of pressure when you, when you want to, you know, when you have followers or when you have that viewership online, uh, you might just have that pressure to always show that you're doing good. Okay. So the habit, the motive is super important. Number two is that we have a standard we've been called to uphold, and that's the standard that the scripture reveals, all right? So, which also ties into our motive that our goal is not pleasing people or seeking the approval of people. Our goal is to live up to the standard of God's word, and whatever comes as a byproduct of that, let it come. And by the way, a byproduct of that may also include persecution, from time to time. So we take whatever comes as a byproduct of living up to the standard of God's word. And yes, several times there, there would be admiration from people, both believers and unbelievers, but also there will be persecution at several times, all right? And then thirdly, like we also mentioned, we are doing this by the help of the Holy Spirit. Um, just like um, Emily said, when we, we are not doing it because we, we are trying to live out a, you know, a, a moral life, but we're doing it, living that way because the life already is producing in us a certain kind of action or lifestyle, all right? Um, so yeah, I hope this helps. And thank you so much for your contribution. You have made my work very easy today. Okay, so I had a bunch of scriptures um, to share with us just to support the fact that the way we live our lives um, is super important, right? The way we live our lives before people is super important. But with the time left, I won't be able to go through all, script, all the scriptures. What I will just do is um, read a couple of them, read some of them, and just call out the others so you can study in your own personal time. Okay, so first of all, in John chapter 17, verse 15, Jesus Christ, when he was making a prayer to God concerning the, the disciples, he said something very powerful. He said, I am not praying that you take them out of this world, but that you protect them in the world. So Jesus's idea was not isolation. That is taken away from the world. Jesus's idea was insulation. That is being in the world, but being protected from the, from the things affecting this world. And I love to use the example of a pen. So I have a pen here. Um, I hope you can see me, um, but, but even if you can just follow my description. So I have a pen here, right? This pen has a casing. Let me take away the cover. This pen has a casing. Now. Inside the casing, there's a tube of ink, right? Now, that tube of ink is insulated by the casing. 
So if this pen drops on the floor, the tube of, of ink doesn't touch the floor. It is the casing that touches the floor. So the pen, the, the tube rather is insulated from the environment. If I, if I, um, I mean, put this pen in somewhere, whatever it is, the tube doesn't touch, make contact with, with that thing. It is the case that makes contact. So the tube is insulated from the environment, even though it is actively participating in the environment. Meaning with this pen, I can write on my notes and you know, take notes down and do whatever I want to do. So it is interacting with the environment, even though it is insulated from it. So that was Jesus's, or rather that is Jesus's idea for believers. Not that we'll be taken out of this world that is isolated from this world entirely, no. Um, but that we would be insulated, meaning we would be in this world, participating in this world, but shielded from the activities and the lifestyle that corrupts our, our core, our integrity, all right? So having said that, I want to read maybe three scriptures just to show us that the Bible talks a lot about our conduct on the earth. Because we're not taken out of this world, we're still in this world, right? So the Bible begins to address how we live our lives on this earth, morally, integrity, our words, our actions, and, you know, all the likes. Okay, so the first scripture I want us to read is First Timothy chapter, sorry, First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 16. First Peter chapter 2, verse 11 to 16. We'll be done in about 10 minutes. Um, first Peter, where is Peter now? Please read if you are there. First Peter chapter 2, verse um, 11 to 16. All right, let me read. It says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. So Peter addresses believers as strangers and pilgrims in this world. He says, Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. Then verse 12 says, having your conversation honest. Now the word, excuse me, the word conversation there is another word that, that means lifestyle, okay? So we can read it this way. Having your lifestyle honest among the Gentiles, meaning among unbelievers. So, okay, let, let's finish up that, that verse. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. This sounds so much like Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where we read. So Peter was saying that we shall pray as pilgrims or as strangers on this earth. In fact, the Passion Translation, I believe, puts it this way. We shall pray as aliens in this earth. And then it goes on to say that your lifestyle should be an honest lifestyle. So that even when people want to call you an evildoer, that when they see your lifestyle, Right, they will eventually be glorify God in the day of visitation. So you know what Paul and um, what Peter was saying here that that there will definitely be people that do not like you, but and they want to call you malicious names, they want to slander you and all of that. But that your lifestyle, the, the clincher for you will be your lifestyle. He did not say you should go and argue with them and say, No, I'm a Christian. Don't you know I'm a man of integrity? I, I keep my words, I don't I've never lied. I don't mm. he didn't say you should go and argue with them. He said, let's live a lifestyle that is so honest and pure that even though they come, they slander you, they say you are, you are, you are a liar, they say you are this, you are that, 
that when they see your lifestyle, they will shut up, that they will lose the argument, not because you have a stronger point verbally, but because your life is strong enough a point to silence them. And this is so important in our Christian work on earth, because like we've established, right, we are in this world and not everybody in this world believes in God. Not everybody in this world will like you. Um, in some climes, just because you're a believer, you would really be hated. Um, just because of the standards you uphold, because of the integrity you uphold, right? You would be, you would be dis disdained, you'll be frowned out. They wouldn't, they would, they would ostracize you. So what Peter is saying is, don't bother arguing with them. Don't bother trying to, to break into their cycle. You know how there's a saying in this world that if you can't beat them, join them. That is not true. If you can't beat them, stay on your own. The life of God, the Bible says, let us know that the life we have is, is an overcoming life. We're more than conquerors, all right? So in such a setting, let your lifestyle be the determining, let your lifestyle be the case closed. Let your lifestyle be what will end, the, end every um, argument, all right? Um, and I remember my, my dad has told us several stories of, you know, when he used to work in a bank and how that, Everybody knew he was a pastor and they knew that certain things he will not do. In fact, at some point, some, some, you know, business people, especially traders that, you know, trade a lot over the weekend, Monday morning, they'll come to deposit money in the bank. They don't know how much the money is, but they'll go to him and say, you count the money. I will drop the money with you. When you finish counting it, deposit it in my account. I'm going back to my trade. And the reason why they, they didn't bother um, waiting to, or before I even cross-checking the amount was because they trusted him and everybody knew that anything that enters this man's hands, it is, would be honest. And that sincerity and honesty and that lifestyle has, has saved him, or rather saved him several times in his, in his career. And this is what Paul, um, sorry, Peter is saying to us that your lifestyle should be that distinguishing factor. Yes, you are a believer. In fact, some people don't care how, how long you pray or how long you pray in tongues. Some people don't care how much you, you, you give or whatever you do. What they are watching for is your lifestyle. And I was thinking about it this afternoon that your, the quality of your lifestyle will determine the impact of the gospel you preach. You see, there are some people that, and, and first of all, before I say what I, what I want to say, let me establish that the primary way of us ministering the gospel is by preaching, all right? However, if your lifestyle is inconsistent with the gospel that you preach, the gospel will be powerless in your hands. Not because the gospel is powerless, but because in your hands, it loses power because of the lifestyle you live. It's similar to um, um, the story of Elisha and, his, and Gehazi, his servant. When the woman who, you know, who didn't have any son at some point miraculously got a child and then that child fell ill and died, Elisha sent Gehazi with his, with his staff and said, you know what, go and lay that staff on the boy and he will resurrect. And nothing happened, not because it wasn't powerful or because Elisha was no longer powerful, but in the hands of Gehazi, it lost its power. And there are a lot of believers who fall into this category that your, the strength of evangelizing, your strength to evangelize has weakened because of your moral lifestyle, because of the way you live your life. And this is what we want to really address in this series. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's read another scripture to show us that our lifestyle is super important. Um, Titus chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. The book of Titus chapter 2, verse 7 
and eight. Um, I would love us to, let me read that from the New King James Version. Um, it puts it in a particular way I like. Um, so just, if, if you are there from New King James, please go ahead and read Titus chapter two, verse seven and eight. Okay, let me read if no one is reading. It says, in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works. So Paul, again, was, you know, addressing Titus here and uh, speaking, you know, by extension to every believer, says, in all things, showing yourselves as, yourself as a pattern of good works. Let me tell you what this means. Let, what this means is that if they want to reference a person of integrity in your place of work, in your family, your your your, your estate, your compound, wherever you are, that you should be that reference. That they say, can't you see the way um, faith is behaving? Can't you see the way Choma is behaving? Behave like her. That's what I expect of you. That when people want to, you, you know, there's something about human beings that naturally gravitate towards a human example because they can easily relate with it. And God takes advantage or rather God puts that instinct in humans so that he can use it to his advantage. That when people say, when, when people are looking for an example of a Christian, or an upright person, they should be able to point to you and say, that is the, an example. Do you understand? That they should be able to look at you and say, look, you know, the way Jesus, God attested about Jesus Christ and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. God should be able to make that same, that same attestation concerning your life and say, say to somebody that, you know, is asking and asking questions and think of how to live his life. And says, look at my son, look at my daughter, Im follow them, emulate their lifestyle, all right? And that's exactly what Paul said when he said, follow those who through faith and patience have obtained the prize, all right? So God always looks for human examples to present before people. And um, this is why the devil also is in search to destroy those examples that God, have, God has built over time because he knows that if one of such examples is destroyed, then there's a domino effect and several people would also be affected or destroyed, all right? Um, so let me finish my reading. It says, be a pattern of good work in sound doctrine, sorry, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. It says that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. That means somebody that just, that opposes the gospel when he's looking for something to blind or to say against you that they will not find any reason. And this is where like a lot of people have been disappointed with the lifestyle of Christians, okay? And gone are the days when you can tell somebody I'm a Christian and they'll take your word for it. When you say I'm a Christian, they'll be like, mm, no, it's not this pastor that did this. It's not this Christian that did this. And you know, they have a lot of examples of disappointments in believers but God is still placing that demand and asking us to still raise that standard that when people want to point a, a, an accusing finger on us, they will not have any reason to do so. And a perfect example of this in scripture is Daniel. That Daniel operated in government. He was so impeccable. There was no flaw in his, in his character or, or capacity so that when they looked for a way to, to bring him down, I'm sure they tried using women. They found out that Daniel is, Daniel doesn't have time for that. They tried using bribe. They found out that Daniel will not take bribe. They tried using, catching him with his words to tell a lie. They found out Daniel will not tell that lie. Eventually, they said the only way we can trap Daniel 
is if we set him up as regards a, as regards worshiping his God, because they knew that was the only thing that he was devoted to. And, you know, we know the rest of the story. So let that be our lifestyle. All right. Um, okay. Now I can't read the rest of the scripture, uh, but I would encourage you to read second Corinthians chapter eight, verse 20 to 21. Maybe we'll look at the scriptures next week. I believe, um, also look at Philippians chapter two, verse 13 to 15, um, first Peter chapter three, verse 15 to 17. And finally, first Timothy chapter four, verse 12. Don't worry. Um, next week we'll look at the scriptures in depth. Okay. So We've established this, and there's one last thing I want us to touch before we conclude today in the next six minutes. So we know that, yes, our lifestyle is important. The way we live our lives is important. And I like what Shema said, that we are called to, you know, represent Christ, and we should, our lifestyle should not be the reason why people are running away from God, okay? Um, so, but how then do we do this? Or where do we even begin? And this is what I want to end today's Bible study with, all right? So let's read Psalm, Psalm 36, verse 9. Please, somebody should read for us. I'd love to hear someone else read. Psalm 36, verse 9. For those of us on Mixellar, just can you give me a thumbs up or let me know that you are, you're following? Drop a chat, um, drop a comment and say, I am with you. I am right here. I'm following or something of that. Let me know we are all together. Okay, someone reading Psalm 36 and verse 9. Yeah. All right. Okay, just a minute. I... All right, Psalm 36, verse 9. For with thee is the fountain of life. In thy light shall we see light. Hallelujah. Short Amen. but scripture. Thank you very much. It says, yeah. For with thee is the fountain of light. Of life. In, of, of life, sorry. It says, In thy light shall we see light? what this suggests is that light does not originate from us right and just like we read in matthew chapter 5 verse 16 it says let your light so shine um the verse 15 or and 14 you know, let us know that verse 15 especially let us know that no one no one lights a candle or no one lights a lamp and hides it under a table so that statement means that the lamp has to be lit by somebody else the light does not originate from the lamp itself. Someone has to light that lamp or someone has to light the candle or in the case of you know, modern technology the, where we have light bulbs, no, the, the, the bulb itself does not, the light doesn't originate from the bulb. The bulb is powered to supply that light, okay? And this is what it means for us as believers that we've been called to be light in this world, but that light is not something we generate ourselves. Just the same way the moon doesn't generate its own light. The moon simply reflects the light that it gets from the sun based on its position and its alignment. It is the same way also as believers that, yes, we are called to be light of the world, but you can't do that with your own strength. And which is why I love the contributions we made earlier, because that helped us establish this, this point. You can't do that with your own strength. You can't wake up one morning and say, today I'm determined to live right. That by the end of that day, you find yourself in temptation and you don't know how you fell into it. You cannot, by your strength, say today, I will exert my power and I will not, I will behave well. I will not insult anybody. The conductor in a bus, before you've, you, you've gone halfway of your trip, you and that conductor might just be exchanging words to the end of the journey. So how do you do this? All right, is what 
um, the psalmist explained here, he says, in thy light, we see light. So when we rub, when we make contact with God through fellowship, through prayers, through communion, then we absorb his light into us. And it is that same light that we're able to shine forth as the light of the world, all right? So the light, again, does not originate from us. It, origin, it comes based on our union and our fellowship with Christ Jesus. Um, let me read one more scripture to, to show us, but where is this point? Acts chapter 4, verse 13. I'll just read that quickly. Um, we have two minutes. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. It says here that um, this was talking about the disciples, you know, after they had healed this man at the beautiful gate and all of that, and they called them in for questioning. And something powerful here, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, it says they perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, meaning that they could tell that these people didn't go to school. Maybe based on the way they spoke their English or based on the way they phrased their words and all of that, they could tell that these people did not go to school. They were not learned, all right? Then the verse continues. It says, they marveled. That means they were surprised that how would these unlearned people be so bold? You know, think about it this way. Think about a PhD holder, a professor, a doctor, right, in academics, be standing before somebody that did not even finish SS1, just for instance. And this person had so much boldness to speak before the professor, and argue their case. I mean, if you are the professor, you also would be surprised and said, uh -uh, what does this person have that is giving him this kind of boldness? And look at what they, they were able to deduce. He says they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. So they marveled at first and then they observed and says, oh, these guys have been with Jesus. That is why they are able to be this bold and able to you know, make their arguments and all of that. What I'm saying is that when you stay with Jesus, it gives you the empowerment to live as light. When you stay in fellowship with Jesus, prayers, you know, studying the word of God, communion, fellowship with, with other people, it gives you the ability and the boldness to shine as light. All right. In fact, what Jesus Christ said in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, right, says that he called his disciples to be with him and so he can send them out. So the first thing, the disciple is to do is to be with Jesus in the place of fellowship. And then from there, he can send you out and you shine forth as light. All right. Okay. So we're going to end here. This is just the foundation. Remember what we're talking about is science. And um, that's our series for the next, probably for the next, for this month. And what we want to look at is how we can live a life that points to God. There is no point calling yourself a Christian. If nobody's life, if nobody is directed to God from your life, I like, I mean, this gets to me so much, how somebody is called a Christian and the words they speak doesn't reflect Christ. The way they dress or the way they conduct themselves in, order, in the midst of people does not reflect Christ. The only way you know that they are Christians is Sunday morning when they come to church. That cannot be the case for us. God demands and expects better for, from us, all right? So we're going to look at this um, over the next several weeks to see how we can consciously live out that life that you know, points to Jesus. And I believe God will do like do a lot of corrective work in our hearts, you know, um, areas that need correction, that need encouragement, and God will strengthen us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, so before we pray, I will take one question from anyone who has a question. You want to ask um, a question from today's 
from today's study, you know, the conversation we had so far, um, if you have a question, please feel free to ask it. Anyone with a question? If you're on Mixer, please feel free to type in your question um, so we can, you know, answer it. Question anyone, anyone, the floor is open for that. Okay, I don't see any question or maybe while the question is still coming up, um, someone wants to share one thing they've learned today before we go. One thing we have learned today um, from our Bible study, just one thing that blessed your heart and you're taking on with you. Um, someone should go ahead and share with us, please. Anybody like that? One thing you've learned today that has blessed you. Um, should I call someone as random? Or someone is volunteering for us? Just one person, one person before we go quickly. So one thing that I learned today that yeah. was very profound, the fact that if we don't let our light shine, there is a segment of men that will not see Jesus and have the opportunity to know him and glorify him. That was really very profound. Hallelujah. Thank you very much for sharing. Um, Ian, that's true. So if we don't let a light shine, there's a segment of people that would not know about Jesus and would not glorify him. Okay, amen. So let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for today. We thank you for insight. We thank you for understanding. We thank you for everyone that has gathered together today for Bible study. And even those that will listen to um, this later on, we thank you for strengthening our hearts in the truth and empowering us to live out our lives as light on the earth. Thank you, Lord, because we know it is not by our power nor by our might, but by the supply of your grace. And we declare that from today, you know, moving forward, that we see your grace released in our lives to live as lights in the name of Jesus Christ. Dear Holy Spirit, I ask that you begin to do a work in our hearts, that if there's anything we're doing or any way we're living our lives that would hinder the spread of the gospel through us, we ask that you help us to correct in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Okay, okay, okay. So we've come to the end. I um, just want to say that next week we're continuing and we're going to go in-depth and more practical. So please, I encourage us to be available next week. And also, um, don't just be available. Intentionally invite one person, at least one person. Um, just call a friend and say, you know what? Hi, there's this Bible study I attend. It's been a blessing to my life and I believe it has to your life, you know. Um, it's been a blessing to my life and then, you know, I would love for you to just join me. And yeah, that's it. All right, so please let's do that intentionally, okay? Don't assume that, oh, they'll see the flyer or they'll see the poster. No, intentionally invite them and um, we'll get, let's get more people to join us, all right? God bless you all. Um, is there anyone joining us today for the very first time? Either on Mixellar or Zoom, anybody like that? Please just let us know in the chat, type in your name and let us know where you're joining us from. We would love to meet you. Okay, while that is going on, um, once again, thank, thanks everyone. For those of us not in a prayer cluster, please um, 
join the prayer cluster um we will drop the links in the uh what's it called in our whatsapp group for you to join the prayer cluster okay thank you very much everyone god bless you have a wonderful you know remaining parts of the day or the night depending on, on, on where you're at god bless you all